0: Welcome to Finding Holiness, where we delve into timeless Torah wisdom, revealing the sacred in everyday moments. Join us on a journey to elevate your spirituality and discover holiness in every aspect of life. I'm your host, Rabbi David Kadosh, and together, let's embark on a path of spiritual exploration. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Erev Tov, everybody. Welcome to another edition of our Thursday Night Parashat HaShavua class. Glad you can join us this evening on another snowy, stormy night. Here in Toronto, Canada Broadcasting Live, we had a little break from the snow, but then it just decided to show up again. And uh, so for those that made it here live in the Bet Knesset, it's nice to have you after a few weeks hiatus uh, during our, our most recent lockdown, unfortunately, but those restrictions have been lifted and we're glad that we can join back in person, uh, give this year in person. And again, we also welcome those listening live online tonight, right now. And those listening uh, on a future podcast and the recording either tomorrow or in a a later date. Welcome to Finding Holiness. That's where you can find all of our Sure. Finding Holiness.com, Um, thank you very much. This shiur is sponsored by Mr. and Mrs. Eve Nachmias in memory of his father, Mr. Yitzhak Nachmias, The words of tonight, uh, words of Torah that we say tonight, be Lilu Nishmatoti Nafsho Serurah Bitro Hahaim. Amen. We are studying parashat terumah. Parashat Rumah is very well known to be the parasha of the Mishkan, since it is in this week's parasha that we find the building of the Mishkan and the vessels that are found in the Mishkan. Uh, it's very hard to relate to the uh, parashiyot like these because we've never really seen these, these vessels in person. Uh, we've seen pictures. Uh, we've seen different uh, images. Nowadays, we're lucky to see have color pictures. Some of our good chumashim may... Uh, you know, get into real good detail about it. There's even some videos you can see on YouTube of people making their artistic renditions and going through the Mishkan and the Bet Hamidrash and how it looks like. But truth is, whenever you don't see something in person, it's hard to relate to. It's hard to it's hard to connect to. So you go about the Parashah and you're reading about the measurements of the Aron and the measurements of the shukhan and the Menorah and everything that possesses it and the, the Mizbeach HaZahav, which is next week's Parashah, the Mizbeach HaNechoshet, so on and so forth. And again, it's like okay, you know, let's we, we again maybe just remind you to pray for Mashiach, so then we can we can actually uh, get a chance to uh, visit and and see, you know, maybe the the, the tour of the of the Western Wall, Bezvat Hashem, one day in days of Mashiach will lead us to uh, I guess an image of what we can see inside. But uh, for now, we're left with what's uh, drawn up in the back of the humash. So it is that it's for that reason why the Chachamim. Uh, Many, many scholars of of recent generations want to learn a little bit uh, of of life lessons uh, from the words of the text, uh, remazim and allusions that that come from it. And I want to speak about one tonight um, that I think, um, you know, can really make a difference in the way we portray ourselves as uh, as Yehudim, as Jews, as uh, those who are God-fearing, and especially those that that spend their days learning Torah or listening to Shi'urim. And it's very and it's focused on the building and construction of the aron. The aron is the first the ark is the first of the vessels that is um ca- that we are commanded to and Moshe is commanded to build the, the Pasuk writes aron shitim that you shall make the aron of shitim wood, orko, two and a half cubits length, one and a half cubits. Uh, cubits with width and one and a half cubits tall and you shall cover it with pure gold from the inside and the outside you shall cover it and you shall make uh, you should make around it a golden crown here's the commandment to build the i don't know one of the most famous uh, lessons from here is that this is the only uh, vessel that has completely half measurements. Right, the, the the length, width, and height are all half measurements: two and a half by one and a half by one and a half. And of course, rabbis tell us that you know the Aaron, which represents the setting of Torah, is never complete. The per- a person can never say to himself, "I have, uh, I've, you know, I've completed, I've mastered everything." It's not something that you know, not Einstein, that you can master uh, all mathem- mathematics, and so on and so forth. No, Torah. No matter the more you the more you dive into it, the more you realize how much you're lacking. So to- Torah also always needs to be looked at upon as uh, something that is lacking—it's a half, it's a half measurement. <clears throat> but the midrash asks a question. The midrash says, <clears throat> on all the other uh, vessels in the Mishkan, the command—the word that's used—is "ve'asita," "ve'asita shulhan," and you shall make. But when it comes to the Aaron, the Ark that housed the luchot, uh, it writes "ve'asu." Aron. "asu" means they shall make an Aaron, "asu." And the midrash answers in the name of Rabbi Yudah, uh, by Rabbi, Shim, of Rabbi Shalom, that God said to Moshe, why is it said, let everyone come and occupy themselves with the aron, so that they all merit the Torah. Everybody has the ability to occupy themselves with this holy vessel so that they have some piece of, of the Torah. So you have to ask yourself, <clears throat> how is this even possible? You know, there's, there's, there's 600,000 members of Gal Israel." How can they all come and participate in the co- actual construction of one Aaron? One um, the Ramban addresses this point in his, uh, he quotes Miash and he addresses this point in his commentary, and he suggests three possible explanations. He says one, it could be that every individual donates a little bit of gold, uh, right? A little bit uh, one golden ounce, one ounce, whatever it is, half an ounce towards the construction of the Mishkan. and that's how they are a part of the Aaron, uh, sorry. That's a part of the Aaron. Another ones that they could they could offer betzalel some assistance, you know. Okay, betzalel you want me to go to Home Depot for you? I'll go to Home Depot for you. Yala, we'll go to Lowe's, Home Depot. I'll uh, pick up some screw, whatever it is that you need. I'll go out and I'll get it for you to help betzalel And the third way is that they could have the kavana. they could have the intent to do so, and that's something that we're going to focus on a lot uh, today. So the the practical significance of the first two explanations are. Very easy to understand. Every every member of Klal Yisrael who donated to the construction of the Mishkan and its vessels, they could have donated some gold, and now they're a part of the Aaron. Uh, and also, they could offer to assist betzalah. It's very it's very understandable and and you know easily to to comprehend how that works. But the third explanation of that they should intend to do so, that requires further further explanation, like what intent exactly do they have to have while Betzalel, who's a master architect, while he's fashioning the Aaron. Uh, if we understand this uh, idea, then we can we can maybe have the same intent today when we read this portion of the Torah, this coming Shabbat and in future years. So we're going to spend a lot of time today on a Gemara found in Masechet Yoma, Daf Ein Bet uh, Amud Bet, which is an elucidation from one of the Amoraim, one of the most famous Amoraim that we have. His name is Rava. And uh, Rava says in, re- in regards to the details of the Aaron, the Pasuk says, That you shall cover the Aaron with gold from um, from outside and inside. It has to be covered in gold. Amar Rava, says Rava. What do we learn from here? Kol Talmid Chacham, She'en tocho kevaro, Chacham. That anybody, any Torah scholar, who is not, whose inside is not like his outside, tocho, not kebaro, his inside is not like his outside, is not a true Tamid Chacham. He's not a real Torah scholar. So plain meaning of what Rav is trying to tell us is that a Torah scholar needs to learn Lishma, for the sake of heaven fulfilling the will of God to study Torah, not just for how it looks on the outside, not just for external uh, appearances, but he has to do it with sincerity and, and, and being genuine. No ulterior motives, not for his own honor, not for prestige. If within the depths of his heart he's insincere, and does not learn lishma, then his inside is not consistent with his outside. And on the outside, he looks like he's a big tamil but really that's not what his, his motives are. Um, the problem with this makes sense. What Rava said makes total sense. The problem with this is another gemara in Masechet Pesachim, a gemara that is very, very well known, um, that said that's Amar Rav Yehuda in the name of Le le'olam yasok adam torah u mitzvot that a man should always study, a person should always study Torah and perform mitzvot, even if it's not for the sake of heaven. And here's the famous line, because through practicing mitzvot, through studying of Torah, not for the sake of heaven, don't worry, you will eventually do it for the sake of, of heaven, right? So I always give the examples of, of, you know, you give kids candies, when they come to the synagogue, that's what they look forward. They're not coming to synagogue to sit there and sing as Yahshu'i Moshe and to pray Amidah wa Kavanah. That's not what they're coming to Beth They're coming to get candy. But you do it enough times, they'll figure it out on their own. Wow, this is a, a, a place of worship. Um, and therefore, uh, I'm going to I'm going to pray as well. And then you hope that they're going to come Lishma. So um, so we see from here, from this, from this Gemara, that a person should study Torah, at least initially, even if it's not for the sake of heaven, and even though his inner motives and intent is not truly representing his external actions. So a person, that person never going to admit that I'm studying Torah and I'm performing for, for the wrong intent and for the wrong motives. Um, that's not usually what, what a person is going to do, but nevertheless, we see that. So we have these two pulps. On one hand, uh, on one hand, Rava says, uh, any tami who is inside is not like his outside is not really a tami chacham, and at the same time, at the same time we have this. Oh, but don't worry. You could you should you should learn uh, shalali because because we learn lishma. Eventually, you will come to lishma for the sake of heaven. So one of the answers that's given to reconcile this is that when when Rabbi Yehuda said the name of Rabbi, he said it as a, an imperative, as a command. He doesn't say that you're a, lo- a person is allowed. To study Torah without proper intent. On the contrary, he says a person should always study Torah and perform mitzvot, even if it's not lishma. And and and, and the Chachamim explain that when a person initially begins to serve God, it's unlikely. Think about it. Think about yourself for a moment. It's unlikely, or even impossible, to study Torah and perform mitzvot lishma. The guy who's just starting for the first time to, to learn Torah, or to, to the first time he 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 puts on tefillin, shakes a lulav, he's not doing it lishma. What does he know about lishma? What does he know about the save God? This is the first time. Some guy's putting on tefillin, a Galubavich guy's putting on tefillin, a guy in a supermarket. He's performing mitzvot. The, the guy who's doing it lishma, the guy who's got his tefillin on, he's doing it for the sake of heaven. He has no idea what he's doing, but he puts it on. So for, for all practical purposes, you ha- initially you're doing it even without proper intent. lolishma As he continues to grow and climb the ladder of kedusha and ruchniut and spirituality, he will eventually be able to learn Torah Lishma. So that being the case, how can Rava say, expound the Pasuk vetzipita Otoza Hafta or mi that any Talmud Chacham who is, his inside is not consistent with his outside, is not true tamid chacham, we see it's worthwhile learning Torah even not for the sake of heaven, even if his inner motives are not in line with the external appearances. So how can Rava say this? How can Rava say that a tamid chacham whose inside is not like his outside is not really a tamid chacham? Um, so we can say that, we can reconcile the statement with the understanding that it is necessary to initially... Learn Torah even not lishma, even not for the sake of heaven. not kevaro, his inside knowledge like is outside. In order to learn lishma, but at that stage of 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 one's learning, a person doesn't deserve to be called a tamid chacham. When you're at that stage where you're just doing it, even not lishma, not for the sake of heaven, you can't be referred to as a tamid chacham. That's why that we say every day, tamidechachamim marbim shalom ba'olam, that Torah scholars increase peace in the world. Why is that the case? When they're, when they're worthy of the title of Tamid Chacham, a Torah scholar, implies that they're studying Torah for the sake of heaven, without any ulterior motives, and without chasing honor or prestige. And that's when they promote peace. That's when they promote harmony. Because they don't argue for the sake of their own personal honor. They're arguing for the for the sake of heaven. That's why they're doing That's why they're Marbim Shalom. But you have to be at the status of Tamid Chacham, where a person is doing it Lishma. If not, uh, if you're not that tamid Chacham and you have ulterior motives, it's still okay. You still may, eventually might get to Lishma, but you're not Tamid Chacham. And you're not, you're not being Marbim Shalom Ba'olam. Uh, where does the Chochma come from? It's amazing that we're even called. Why are Torah scholars called a Tamid Chacham? Uh, the student of the Chacham. So, uh, some of the holy books, right? It's really not appropriate to call anybody a chacham except for our alone, because God is the essence of wisdom of chokhmah. All wisdom comes from Him. Okay, um, He doesn't receive; He's not influenced by others. And everybody else does receive from Him. Everybody else is influenced by God. Chokhmah is infinite, and God is infinite, and human beings are finite. Uh, man is finite, and we, we require constant improvement. So. Uh, you know, Who's considered wise? A guy who just learned. We're constantly learning from other people, so that's why we're a, we're a talmid chacham. We're a student. It's almost like we're 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 Hashem is the rabbi. We're the student of the chacham. We can never uh, we can never access and attain full chokhmah. It's impossible. So this one, what Rav is what meaning what rabbi's what trying to say. Any talmid chacham whose inside is not like his outside because he's not yet learning Torah for the sake of learning of of Lishma is not a true Tamik Chacham. Because a Tamik Chacham is only someone who studies Torah Lishma for the sake of God, not for the sake of his own personal honor. Um, Because when a person starts to study, he realizes how much, like we said, he still has to learn. If a person studies Lo Lishma, uh, for, for imaginary false honor, then it becomes easy prey for the inclination, the yetzara, who misleads him to, to make him believe that he is a prominent Torah scholar and does not need to learn from others. Why well, I need to learn from everybody else? I already got my own knowledge. But then you're not real tamichacham because you're all in it for your honor. You're all in it for your gava and your, are arrogance. So, so in that case, he certainly doesn't deserve to be called al <clears throat> Interesting, staying on this note. Uh, the commandment to cover the Aaron, both inside and outside, with, with gold. And again, like we said, Rava said from here that a Tamichacham has to be the same on the inside, same on the outside as he is in the inside, that they must mirror each other. The Noam Elimelech a great chidush. And he says, it, it, concerning the special clothing of the Kohen Gadol, the Kohen Gadol wore four extra garments in addition to um, the, of the regular clothing of the Kohen. And he writes that these four special garments needed to be threaded with um, with gold threads in them. And he explains that the three letters of the Hebrew word for gold is zahav. zayin he bet. And that word alludes to humility. You might think no, because gold is is very... Uh, flamboyant metal that was, that shines out and but zahav is actually a, a representative of humility. How so? He says that the word zahav uh, decreases in value. Zain is seven, hey is five, and bet is two. And so, in order to uh, delve into the realm of Kedushah the realm of, uh, of, of kehuna, the highest level of, of of the priesthood and the kohen gadol, which is the highest level of of the highest level. Um, which is tantamount to gold, that requires shattering a person's ga'avah, shattering his arrogance, and acquiring the trait of humility, submission, reflected from Zahav 752. Now, the obvious question is, why did the Torah uh, allude to this as, um, uh, you know, through the word Zahav? Why did they allude to the humility by the word Zahav? Why? Just because it was 752, you couldn't, go okay, find another word that, was, that says a, a high number and, and goes low. There are many words in the Torah where we see this um, with de- decreasing numerical values. So the Gemara, and Baba Kama, Daf uh, Pay Aleph, Amud Aleph, um, and also the da- Masechet Megillah, Daf Kaf Aleph, I believe, talks about that there are three days of the week that we recite the parasha. We read from the Torah. That Shabbat, that is Mondays and Thursdays. So that Jews never go three days without uh, hearing the Torah. It's a beautiful allusion to what we just said. Um, the Khatam Sofer writes that the three days which we read in the Torah are alluded to in the letters of Zahav. Uh, Zayin is a seventh day, seven, at Shabbat. Hay uh, is Thursday, that's fifth day of the week, uh, five. And Bet is number two, which is the second day of the week, which is which is Monday. So based on the what the Noam Ali Melech said, which, which, which we explained before, we can say that maybe the, the Ravim who instituted this intentionally chose those three days of Monday, Thursday, and Shabbat to teach us that it's impossible to acquire Torah without the characteristic of humility, which is alluded to by the decreasing numbers of Zahav 7, 5, and 2. And of course, famous Gemara that we've quoted many times over here in this shiur, uh with regards to humility, that uh, Torah is compared to water. Why is the words of Torah compared to water? Because just like water flows from higher ground to lower ground, so too the words of Torah are only retained by someone who possesses a lowly self-image, humility. Um, so so now this goes very nicely with, with our pasuk over here. That uh, Aaron, we are commanded to build the Aaron and cover it from inside and outside with gold. And says, uh, Anyone who is not on the outside like he is on the inside is not really a tamichacham. According to Rabba, tamichacham needs to be zahav. He needs to be humble both on the inside and the outside. He cannot behave outwardly like a humble human being, but in reality, he's filled with, with gava, with arrogance, with conceit, chas um, So it's another way of, of understanding this. The, in fact, we see another Gemara concerning what Rava said, in Moed Katan, which we're studying now in Dafiomi, we're going to get to this in just a few days. The Gemara says, Ama Rava said, Hani tlat mile Shemi Tarti Tarti Yavuli lo Yavuli. He says, I requested, this is Rava saying, I requested three things from God. Two of them were given to me, one of them was not. Okay, the Yavuli. The Chokhmah Ravuna, the wisdom of Ravuna and the wealth of Ravhista, God I asked him and he gave it to me. God gave me the wealth and the and the uh, and the God. However, but the humility of Rabbi Barahuna, I asked for it, I prayed for it, and it was not given to me. So on a simple level, humility has to be earned. It's not something that you can pray for. It takes a lot of works. one of the hardest midot, most important middot to have, you have the hardest one to attain. But on a deeper level, uh, Rava needed to compensate for that deficient humility. He, he tried getting it; he couldn't get it. He realized he was lacking it, so he expounds with regards to himself that a true Tamid must contain the midah of zahav, must must contain the midah of humility, both inside and outside to This was his teaching to all of, of all of klal Israel. Okay, um, let us. Gradually move deeper as we normally do on the Thursday night class. We study the words of the Shvile Pinchas of Pinchas Friedman. Um, try to understand Rav's statement in a little bit more depth. Uh, we said that <clears throat> Rav's statement of Tochol Baro a- a- applies equally to someone who hasn't reached the exalted level of learning Lishma. I mean, even if someone hasn't attained the status of Tohokebaro, kevaro, where his inside matches his outside, he should still learn not lishma, okay, in order to attain the level of lishma in the future. Now, Rashi, in this week's parasha, on the commandment to build the, the Aaron, uh, he writes, in quotes a Gemara Masechet Yoma, that Betzalel actually made three arks. In constructing the one, he made three. Two of them were gold, one of them was wood, there were four walls and a bottom, and they were open on top. And he put the wooden arc inside one of the gold ones, and then he put the smaller gold one inside the wooden one. Okay, and then he overlaid it with the rim uh, with gold. This is what Rashi writes. So this, this way it was covered on top with gold, it was covered on the outside with gold, and inside it was gold. So you actually had a sandwich. If you were to look, a bird's eye view, if you took out the top of the iron, you had a bird's eye view. You would see the outer layer gold, the inner layer wood, and uh, the middle layer wood, and the inner one gold. All right, that's what you had. You had three layers. Now, the Mefarshim find this very puzzling. If this is indeed how Betzalel fashioned the Aron, and we're not arguing with with Rashi here, we, we accept Rashi's uh, explanation. But then Rava, uh, his statement at the beginning, which we quoted, uh, you know, how, how did he how did he conclude? that any tamid chacham whose inside does not mirror his outside is not true tamid chacham. According to Rashi, the inside of the Aaron was not like the outside of the Aaron. The middle arc was made from wood. It was not made from gold. If a Kadosh Baruch Hu wanted this, the structure of the Aaron, um, uh, that a tamid chacham should be inside like his outside, then why didn't he just construct the whole thing to be gold gold and gold? No wood smacked in the middle. It should have just been like that. Um, the Aaron would have been inside and outside and then it would have made sense. Rabbah comes along and says, yeah, you see how the Aaron is gold on the inside and gold on the outside? So that's how a, a HaKham has to be. But that's not what the Aaron is. The Aaron is in the middle. There's a there's a wooden Aaron. The, the middle layer is wood. So there is a amazing uh, yesod here that he brings down in the name of Rav Moshe of Sambur. And and this Yesod is learned on how he interprets the first mitzvah that Ben Israel received as a nation, which we learn in Parashat Bo, which is the mitzvah of Kiddush HaChodesh, of Rosh Chodesh. Um, the Pasuk writes, HaChodesh HaZeh Lachem rosh that this month shall be for you the beginning of the month, the month of Nisan, and Rishon Hulachem Lechotche It's the first of the month. So Rashi says, what does mean HaChodesh HaZeh? This month. What's HaZeh? Rashi brings a Midrash and he says, Nitkasha Moshe al Lebanah. Moshe was perplexed. He didn't really know how it worked, what to see, what kind of moon signified a new moon. It's the first time. He, he, he doesn't know. So the Rashi says, be'etzba et barakia. Hashem showed him with a finger in the sky, lo kaze re'e see it like this, the way you see it right now, that is the new moon, that's when you sanctify uh, the new moon. So, he explains uh, a practical significance of this comment based on a Gemara in Brachot that says, Rav Alexandri, uh, Bata de Matzle, after he would pray, he would say the following, ulami, Master of Universe, Galui veyadua lefanecha laasot retonecha. Because you know that we want to do your will. But who is holding us back? The leaven in the dough. That's that's a euphemism for the Yetzehara, the evil inclination. And the, the government. They're holding us back. We want to do so many things, but we can't. Please, may be your will. That you save us from their hands. So we allow, we can continue uh, serving you. So what does this teach me? A Jew's... Um, a Jew's inner desire. What we really want is to act with, with Hashem's will. That's what we really want. But the problem is when we proceed to take action and make that desire into a reality, we have the hara, which is the yeast in the dough. The leaven is intervening with all of its might. And now it starts injecting uh, bad thoughts. It, uh, uh, maybe we shouldn't do the mitzvah, uh, you know, we start, uh, you know, and now all of a sudden our performance of the mitzvah is not lishmah, it's not for the sake of heaven, but now, uh, you know what, if I do it, I'll get reward, I'll do this. Now, we're not doing it for the real reason that we intended to do it. And that's, that That, in a way is what the Gemara says, in Mem, Machshava Tova LeMaaseh that God associates a good thought with the actual deed. Our initial thought is to do Hashem's will perfectly, the way it was meant to be, as humanly possible. But when we begin to do so, we're foiled by the evil inclination, and now we have, uh, we're have we misled, and we have insincere thoughts, and we start thinking different things. So what does God do? Amazing chesed He does. tova Through His infinite mercy and, and kindness, God combines that initial thought, that well-intended thought that you were going to do at Lishma for the sake of heaven, okay? He's going to combine it with the performance of the mitzvah. And it's considered as if He performed the mitzvah like He originally intended to do so. Even though when you actually did it, that wasn't you weren't thinking that way. You had ulterior motives. So, back to the mitzvah of the Kiddush Hodesh When God, the message that God was conveying to Moshe with the moon, God was saying, see it like that, that little sliver of the moon. God was telling Moshe, just like the determination of every month is based on that initial appearance of a tiny speck of the moon, so too, every individual needs to strive with all his might to sanctify God with that first inkling of thought that, that came in his mind. Yes, I'm going to do something good without any ulterior motives. And then that will ensure that the performance of the mitzvah will follow the initial impulse. Okay. Which was, which was pure. So now go back to the statement. That really a person should always strive to engage in Torah study and mitzvot, even not for the sake of heaven. Because when you don't do it for the sake of heaven, don't worry, eventually you're going to get it there for the sake of heaven. What is that? What is what is uh, based on what we just said? Is amazing. If a person just intends to do a particular mitzvah for not for the sake of heaven. Sorry, if a person intends to do a particular mitzvah, yes, the shem that was his initial thought. That was the inkling that was in his mind. But then he sees that the inclination that Yetzirah is harassing him and, uh, and injecting these evil thoughts, confusing him that's not Lishma, persist. Keep on pushing. Doesn't matter. It uh, doesn't matter that Yetzarah is giving you, uh trying to make you think of the reward that comes as a result of it. Do it. Summitoksmah ba Lishma. God is going to associate your act that was performed, even though you did it not for the sake of heaven, but He's going to associate with your original thought. With the original intent, which was uh, lishma, this, by the way, helps us understand a one of the the, the great questions that we have on on chumash. Bereshit That God, in the beginning, God created the heavens of the, uh, uh, and, uh, the heavens and the earth. And the, the name of God that's used is Elohim, which is the name of strict judgment. It's the name of of din. And the name of Yud kevavkeh havaya is the name of mercy and 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 rachamim. When God initially created the world. He had intent that it was going to be done only through strict judgment. But then the, the Chachamim write that God, it, it, it wouldn't work. The world cannot survive with that type of uh, of strict judgment, strict standard. So therefore, he inserted Midat Rachamim. So therefore, the next Pasuk, later on, the next Padrech says, "Be'Yom asot Hashem Elohim et Hashem Elohim. You see the name of yud Bafke, and you see the name of Elohim. So now you have a combination of strict judgment and mercy in the creations of the heavens. So the famous question everybody asks is, HaKadosh Baruch who's obviously able to foresee the, the, the future. Okay, so how is it possible to suggest that he initially thought to create the world and then reconsidered uh, when he saw that the world could not survive? But based on what we said, we have a great answer over here. While it's true that the Yetzirah, the inclination, in- introduces thoughts of... of um, self-pride or or thoughts of, of reward when he performs a mitzvah. Nevertheless, a person has to strive to initiate that performance with the purest of intentions, solely for the sake of God. Because the initial thought emanates from a place that's beyond the yitzhara. The yetzara only comes in afterwards. So bereshit The purpose of the creation of the heavens of the earth was bereshit, was for the purpose of reshit. Now that word Rashid has so many meanings. Rashid is Israel, Rashid is Torah. There's so many things that Rashid is. But now we can basically say that Rashid is the person's initial impulse. What first came. Heaven and earth was there for us to serve God based on what we originally intended. To fulfill God's will in the most purest, most ideal uh, way. So that's what it means. At first, God wanted to create the world with midat din, from the aspect of the beginning of the way. Was if, if man acted in the initial impulse, it made perfect sense. The world is running with with din at that moment of impulse. Yetzirah is not in control; he has no um, effect on us, and therefore God judges a person at that moment. The din, the way it's supposed to be, did he did he attempt with all of his power, with, 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 through to his will and his might? untainted. There's no yetzahara. But when a person actually gets to performing the action, now the yetzahara is, is there and he's harassing him and he's bothering him, God has to add the midab chesed. He has to add the midav rachamim. And that's why it says, on the day that asot hasem, when there was an action involved, Hashem elokim, God's name of mercy has to be there. Because at that point, the yetzahara already intervened, which prevented a person from, from performing the mitvah in the best way without any ulterior motive, uh, motives. So now this also shines a light on Rava's words that we mentioned at the at the beginning. that the aron has to be covered with gold inside and out. Any tamid chacham whose outside is not like his inside and vice versa, they don't mirror is not really a tamid chacham. We asked a question: How could Rava come to this conclusion from the structure of the Aaron, since the inside and the outside were not the same? Because there was a there was there was a wooden aron smack in the middle. That was our question. So what can we suggest that maybe the Torah is teaching us that even if a tamid chacham represents the aron and resembles the ark, meaning he has within him wood, he has within him foreign thoughts, uh, uh, which is which is compared to the wooden ark in the middle. That's okay. He's still considered Atamid Chacham. We're referring to Atamid Chacham who strives from the depths of his heart to serve Akadosh Lishma. And even externally, he, he tries to serve God for, for the sake of his name. But the Yetzirah, unfortunately, inserts himself smack in the middle. That's the wood. And, and, uh, and he introduces improper, misguided thoughts. that are lishma. but God ignores it. He overlooks that. What does God see? He just sees gold on the outside and gold on the inside. To him, it's all gold, and therefore the middle, the middle of the aron, which is wood, you can't see it. It's totally covered. You can't see that middle wood. It's like it vanishes through a person that studies the Shema without any ulterior motives. If we were to end the Shul here, that's uh, that's already a great, great lesson. But he takes it up a notch, one more notch. Uh, a, a beautiful. Uh, he says, regarding Rava again, any, again, any Tamichacham whose outside is not like his inside, is not too Tamichacham. He takes us back to Sefer Bereshit, um, in the story of Avram and Lot. Avra, Lot's nephew, uh, Avram's nephew was Lot. And Lot eventually got captured by Sedom. The Pasuk writes, et Lot ve'et ben achi Avram ve'hu Yosef that the sodomites captured Lot and his possessions, which was Abraham's brother's son, and they left, and he was dwelling in uh, Sedom. Says the Arizal, uh, the great Kabbalist, he says that the soul, the neshama of Rava, who we've been talking about this whole shiur, who gave that whole line about your inside and your outside, the soul of Rava was concealed within Lot in Sedom. That that soul was inside Lot. And he writes, Neshama of Rava the Amorah, came from Naamah Ahha Amonit. Naama the Amonit was the mother, one of Shlomo HaMelech's wives, and she was the mother of Rehovam who succeeded Shlomo HaMelech as the next king of Yehuda. And it was only until until Rava's soul came from Naama Amon. Now remember, Lot gave birth gave birth to two sons from his own daughters. Um one of them was Amon and one of them was Moab. So Amon, go down the, the lineage and you're gonna to get to Na'amah, and that's when Rava's soul was released from, from Na'amah, she was a tzadeket. Um in fact he says you learn this from the Pasuk that the first letters, the acronym of the word Rehusho ben achi is Rava. Alright? So when the when these negative influences took Rava ca- uh, when took Lot captive, they also took the neshama of Rava. In, with, with Lot and his neshama was only set free uh, later on in history by Naama, one of Lot's, uh, Lot's descendants. Um, What does Rava, Rava by the way, maybe I should have said this beginning Rava is the Amorah that is mentioned the most in the entire Gemara. Rava and Abai. You cannot go three pages of Talmud without finding their name they are absolutely everywhere. So when I say Rava says something else, this is just one of hundreds of things that he says. Uh, Rava says in Masechet Chagiga, which is the next Masechet we're going to learn in Dafyomi, Yomi. Uh, he says, Mai What's the meaning of the Pasuk in Shia Hashirim? <laughs> I went down to the garden of nut trees to see the green plants in the riverbed. River so Rava asks, Why are Torah scholars compared to a nut? Now today you call a Torah scholar, you're a nut. I don't think he's going to take it too lightly. I didn't call anybody a nut. I don't think I compared to compare the book. But the Torah, Shlomo melech, compares a Torah scholar to a nut. Why? Lomar Lecha to tell you. Ma just like this nut. Afa Betit. That it's soiled with mud, uvitsoa, and dung. What's inside is not distasteful. What's inside the nut is good. Even though he may have gone astray, his Torah is not distasteful. This is what Rava says. Maybe the reason why Rava said this is because he was intimately connected to the root of his neshama that was concealed within Lot in Sedom. He himself can be described as that Torah scholar who was um, filthy, covered in filth and mud due to Lot's association, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, where his neshama came from with the populace of Sedom. Sedom was one of the most uh, cruel... I think is the best word. Populations in all of history. So comes Rava, and Rava wished to atone for Lot in a similar way that we, we tend to do in situations when we mention evil people or people that have gone astray but have somehow come back. One of the most classic examples we see this is on the Haggadah Shel Pesach, we begin the Haggadah shel pesach talking about Terach. Terach was Abraham's father. <speaking> in <Hebrew> Initially, our forefathers are worshippers of Avodah Zarah. Why are we starting the Haggadah shel pesach talking about Terach? You couldn't find somebody else to talk about? You have to pick an idol worshipper? Uh, why criticize? Like, what, What's going on over here? So the answer is, that since Terach yes, committed countless Averot until the end of his life, but he did perform Teshuvah. At the end of his life, he repented. And that's the reason why we recount his shame. Because recounting that shame acts as an atonement, acts as a, as a kapara, and therefore his punishment is lessened. So in Parashat Lech Lecha, the Torah writes, Vegam lot haolechet Abraham, lot who went with Abraham also had flocks and cattle and tents. was very wealthy. The land could not support them living together because their possessions of lot were abundant. They weren't able to, to dwell together. Says the Chatam Sofer, Eretz Israel, the land of Israel, could not bear lot in his possessions because lot's inner self and outer self were discordant. He was not tocho kebaro. His inside and his outside were not mirror images of each other. Lot and Abraham had to grow apart. Abraham was described as rechus kadol, meaning he had everything. There was kedushah, there was harmony. Lot is described as rechus rav. He had much, a lot. And that means that he was always seeking more. Since Lot and his possessions didn't reflect the kedushah like Abraham's did, they kept on fighting they kept on bickering with each other until they came to Canaan. They couldn't remain in the same land. They couldn't unite. Uh, that's Lot. In fact, we see uh, we see in Sefer Shmuel that one of the words that's used there in in Perak in, Perek, uh, in Aleph that Lot also has this, this uh, interpretation or meaning as being covered, uh, wrapped in a cloth. So Lot appeared to be good on the outside, and he had some good qualities because he was the nephew of Abraham, and he he learned a lot from his uh, from his uncle. But he was tainted. He was tainted. And that came uh, to the forefront that was revealed when he was amongst the sodomites. So, Avram <laughs> went with him. Lot was just a, a companion. He was just showing up. Look, I'm with, the, I'm with my uncle, the tzaddik. But really inside, he had problems. He had issues. All of those good deeds were superficial. Based on his name, look, they enveloped him, they covered him, they covered his true inner self. The good deeds didn't stem from the goodness of his heart. So now here comes Rava, here comes Rava, many many generations later, to expound what what statement? What was his main claim to fame? Because I want everybody to know that if you're going to be a Torah scholar, you better make sure you're to you got to make sure that your inside is like your outside. Otherwise, you are not a true Tamil chacham. Why did he say that line? Because he was seeking atonement for his ancestor Lot, who was the root of his soul, the root of his neshama. In keeping with uh, you know with that idea, like we learned with ter- ter- Terach, I'm going to try to fix the soul of my ancestor. Ravah owed his existence to Lot. That's where he came from. Lot's uh, uh, son was was Amon. So therefore, he was not trying to disparage him and make fun of him and 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 humiliate him. He was trying to portray Lot in a positive light. A tamid chacham needs to be good on the inside and out to make amends for Lot, who was unfortunately not good through and through. And through that process, he hinted to the fact that he was missing that tocho because his own neshama didn't participate in... Um, in all of Lot's negative thoughts. So that was something that meant a lot to Rava. Uh, Rava was one of those people who was sullied in mud. He was dirty because of his ancestors, but he knew deep down inside that my inside is good. If you crack open that nut, you can eat it. It's very it's, it's, it's very nutritious, and there's something good inside that nut, even though my ancestors and my covering, my Lot, was sullied and, and, and muddy and, and full of filth. So um, with the Aaron comes many, many lessons that, uh, that we can learn. And of course, um, we don't have the Aaron today to actually uh, say, they say it's still around somewhere and buried um, deep in the mountains somewhere in, in the Middle East. But if there's one thing that we can walk out with is this um, this idea, this notion to be true to ourselves, uh, you know what we portray on the outside needs to be exactly what we feel on the inside. With regards to our Torah study, and it's also with regards to the relationships that we have with our, with our friends and our family and our community members, and <laughs> Bezat Hashem, one day we will be Zohe to uh, see that uh, the Mishkan in all of its glory, the vessels in all of its beauty, and we will see that hopefully soon with the coming of Mashiach. Amen. Wishing everybody a wonderful night. Be well. Very